Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Jane Cahoon is back on the podcast. Can't wait to hear how she spent her furlough. It's this week in the CLE, the news podcast from cleveland.com. I'm Chris Quinn, editor at cleveland.com with the aforementioned Jane Cahoon, along with Laura Johnston and Chris Warnowski. Welcome back, Jane. Did you have a good week? Yeah, it was pretty good. Took a couple of road trips to garden centers and one little drive to Amish country. Tried to remain socially distant and uh, house projects and, you know, a little cooking, all kinds of stuff. Were most of the places you went, were people wearing masks and doing the right thing? Well, down in Amish country, it was about 50-50, I'd say. So I did play a little dodgem in one of the stores where, you know, trying to avoid children, especially. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that in the very first part of the podcast. Let's get started. Did people in greater Cleveland follow social distancing rules as they return to restaurants and bars in the coronavirus pandemic? The restaurants and bars were allowed to open late last week, and it didn't take long for photos to start getting posted on social media, showing some pretty scary looking situations. Laura Johnston, what do we see? Yeah, the big one in Northeast Ohio that's getting a lot of scorn from social media is Lago on the east bank of the flat. And the social media just went crazy with these pictures of younger people standing very close to each other outside drinking. Obviously, there's no masks on because they're drinking. And it really looks like they have very little regard for the rules about staying six feet distant. Um, have seen some pictures of servers in masks. They're following the rules. But... The issue is the patrons. And we had a story Jane Maurice wrote yesterday about the Lago. And the owner actually said that it was one moment, one angle, one second in time. But you got to wonder. And it wasn't the only one that people were talking about. But the owner also said in that statement that it wasn't reasonable to expect them to be able to enforce the rules or practical, that they're not the police of the rules and that while they're trying to do better, and adhere to what Mike DeWine says, this is this is challenging. And, and Mike DeWine saw sa- similar pictures out of Columbus mm-hmm. and Short talked North, about yeah. it on, yeah, and on television. I mean, I would I would argue this wasn't the successful rollout that he had hoped for. He had said, I'm going to count on Ohioans to listen to their better angels and do the right <laughs> thing. But they didn't. And, and right. we it, look, it's not just restaurants and bars. We've seen it. We've talked about it before. It's in a number of places. Chris, you were out at a park this weekend, you said, and you were you were kind of surprised at, at the level of adherence there compared to what you see in your apartment building. Well, you know, parks are parks are different. It was a little troubling to go to a park and, and be in the parking lot 
and everybody's close together. Once you get out and away from people, it's fine, I think, to take off your mask and, you know, breathe the fresh air or whatever. And again, I think we've talked about this numerous times in the run up to this reopen. You know, we said that the state is largely going to just assume people are going to do the right thing. And history has shown that people won't. And look, this look, Lago may not represent the majority of the restaurants in Northeast Ohio or the United States or whatever. But what they said, like that response, I mean, if if you don't have dominion over your customers, if you're not I mean, you hired a DJ. Like, how many people <laughs> do you think are show, are going to show? Like, people are itching to get out, and 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 you as a business owner, you yeah. have a you have a responsibility to the people that you do let into your restaurant. I, like, I I agree look, I, with Chris. I think that I mean, you you can just not let them in. How can you? Can't you set your capacity? You got one person in every seat. We've spread the sit, seats six feet apart, and those are the people we're going to let in. Like, I, I don't understand how you can't be responsible for that. And and I have seen lots of people doing the right thing. We I was in a Heinen's over the weekend for our once every two weeks replenishment of our food, and people largely kept their distance and wore masks. We took the dog for a long walk at Acacia, the park on the east side, and there were lots of people in the park, and they were all keeping their distance. We had an elderly woman take a really nasty fall, so social distancing had to go out the window because we had to help her back up. But but most of the time, people were doing the right thing. And, and, you know, they didn't, a lot of people didn't wear masks because they were keeping their distance. But what you saw in these photos was people just throwing caution to the wind, which is guaranteed to spread the virus. I mean, we've seen anecdote after anecdote across the world one person in a crowd like that can get a dozen people sick. And I, my bet is come the next few days, the next week, week and a half, we'll see a bump in the numbers. Yeah. When you're throwing caution to the wind, you're also throwing your stupid germs and <laughs> your spirit. respiratory droplets, <laughs> especially if you're loud talking over a DJ. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And, and so, you know, I mean, look, we had a, I mean, we had an incident at, a retailer this weekend where two people just ripped their masks off and one of the women was sneezing and my girlfriend said something and they got all upset about it. And, and it's like, look, it, as customers of stores, it should not, it shouldn't fall on us to, to ask people to, to do what the store is asking. That's a store policy. And, and if, if you're not going to adhere to the store policy because you think you're some patriot, Go somewhere else. Go somewhere else that has your your crappy values. <laughs> and but you know what's odd, Chris? Though is that the stores don't feel like they're in the position to enforce that, which is odd because well, it's private property. They enforce the shirts and shoes and and all sorts of other things. But, but, but for some reason, they feel like they shouldn't be agents of the state here, right? Because people are literally coming back to the store and killing people. This has happened a couple of times already. And so, right. I mean, that's the extreme end of it, but But the the thing is that makes you wonder, we've looked at all of these reopening plans that came out on Friday, you know, for campgrounds and day camps and daycares and BMV and just a whole slew of them. And none of them were very specific. No, they all count on, they all count on people to to follow the rules. I mean, the pool one doesn't address, the fact that lifeguards are going to have to whistle at people, but they're supposed to be wearing masks. It doesn't look at slides. It just tells you to stay six feet away from each other in a pool. I, I have no idea how this is going to be enforced. 
No, it's a good point. I, I hadn't thought about the whistle. You can't really put one of those <laughs> under a mask. <laughs> and and uh, there was I I saw a story this morning in which a scientist was saying that people that pull their masks down on, to their neck are actually contaminating themselves in a way that will make them sick if they've encountered the coronavirus. That you either should wear the mask or take it completely off, but moving it up and down on your face. Wow, is really and we've seen lots idea. of pictures with even mm. like officials doing that. Well, and they they, they this showed they they did one of those glow in the dark spray things, oh, and when gross. you pull that down to your neck and you lift it back up, it leaves the stuff on your neck. So I yeah, that's a good. How is it? So a lifeguard will have to take the mask off, blow the whistle. Good point. Okay, moving on. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. How is China making schools safe as children return to classes? We've talked a good bit about going back to school. We talked a good bit about the unimaginative plan that the state has put out so far, the draft of the plan for when kids go back to school. This weekend, Andrew Tobias published a story about some innovative things they're doing in China. Jane Cahoon, what did we see? Well, they've they've taken some pretty dramatic measures, like installing plastic shields between desks and spraying the bottom of kids' shoes with disinfectant. They they've got these friendly looking robots that that take kids' temperatures as well as scan their faces for signs of illness. They're they're more into uh, facial recognition there, which raises all kinds of privacy issues and so forth. Um, you know, hand washing all the time. Uh, eating lunch at their desks, or if they're in a cafeteria, they have to have dividers and, you know, all kinds of things. Like uh, that. But, you know, the thing that strikes me about all of those things Andrew wrote about is they cost money. And mm-hmm. the state's plan, the draft, doesn't really require the spending of a lot of money because the state doesn't, you know, it's cutting school budgets, not, right. not increasing them. The estimates that schools are giving to themselves are their lost state revenue on the next budget are pretty horrifying. But- there was the CARES Act, which did provide money to deal with the coronavirus. Why wouldn't you expect them to use those millions of dollars to try and make schools safe for kids by spending money on things that are in China? It does seem like most of the state's recommendations on all of these things are for things that don't require a lot of money, except for daycare, where they are going to provide millions to help reduce the class sizes. Um, this, this draft that the state put out, the state is looking for feedback because it doesn't look like they really had any parents on the working group. <laughs> they just yeah, had educators. a little oversight there. Yeah, they're, they're asking, um, they asked the Ohio Parent Teacher Association to come up with, with some feedback to the, to this draft plan that you mentioned, which is kind of vague. So they, they set up this short online survey, basically asking parents, what are your main questions? Will you send your child to school if they reopen in the fall? And will you send your child to school if masks are mandated? And, you know, that's, as we've talked about many times on this podcast, that's that's kind of a, become a culture war here. So it's uh, nobody knows, you know, if parents are going to accept that. I was surprised at the simplicity of the request for feedback. I, I think... It might have been interesting if they had put each element of their draft plan in for comment and then asked parents, do you have other ideas for making the schools safe? Right, right. Um, it doesn't really open the door to a lot of thoughtful you know, comments. Well, and, and look, the, we talked about this last week when you were off. You know, Part of this is that it relies on home checks for fever, 
and parents already send their kids to school with fever. <laughs> so, right. you know, it's just, I think parents might say, you know, why are you putting the onus on me? I, I don't know. I, I, I'm a little bit surprised that they didn't have parents on the working group. They just had educators. Uh, we'll have to see if anybody now tries to pry into the feedback form, some of the things that Andrew wrote about. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Is Progressive Insurance, one of Northeast Ohio's biggest employers, bringing the workforce back to the office? This is a question I think every employer is dealing with. Should they keep people working at home for the foreseeable future or should they start trying to bring them back? We learned something about Progressive in the uh, in an analyst call for, for the stock performance. Chris Warnowski, what did they say? Yeah, so Progressive CEO Tricia Griffith told uh, the, the analysts that 95% of its employees who are working from home uh, won't return uh, to the office until at least September 1st. So they're pushing it almost into the fall. So, and she made this declaration, I guess, in a in, in a May 6 conference call, and and said that prior to the pandemic, only about 10,000 of their 43,000 employees were working from home. But um, since the pandemic, 95% of them have been working from home and they're going to continue to do so. Well, you know, the, the benchmark seems that you keep hearing now, September 1st, Labor Day. If we go that long without being in the workplace, because this started in early March, that's going to be nearly six full months where we haven't worked in the city where our office is. Progressive has a lot of offices in Mayfield Village. That's a village that has prospered mightily by the income taxes that are paid there. But all those people who work at Progressive, who've been working from home, will have a claim to make. You took six months of my income taxes and I wasn't working in your city. She didn't really talk about that because I guess it doesn't affect the bottom line for their analysts. But that's going to be a question that I think comes up in city after city, right? Right. And we've written about this in the past that, you know, that all of these businesses that are headquartered in various municipalities around Northeast Ohio, those people who pay taxes in those communities may have some sort of, you know, legal justification for saying, hey, I don't think I should have to do that. And so, you know, I, I think places like Cleveland and, and better, better, yeah, and places that are sort of central to, you know, uh, employment where a lot of people communicate you know, commute in to work every day. I mean, they're going to have some, it's going to be kind of a tough and interesting sort of legal battle that's going to unfold here. I think in the next couple of months, maybe throughout the rest of the year, um, you know, where people say like, look, you know, I didn't work in your city all year. Why should I have to pay taxes? And yeah, and, that, and then, and even though the mayors of these places are saying, no, 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 the law's on our side, there's no way the law's on their side. If I am not stepping foot into the city where I'm paying income taxes, there's no way I'm not going to be able to get that money back. And the lawyers know it. Independence, Solon, Mayfield, Cleveland, the places that have worked so hard to build themselves as employment centers, they're facing some hard times as this goes through. There's a lot of millions of dollars at stake. Yeah. Uh, I just when I when I saw the progressive and thought, man, that's six months. That's a lot of money that Mayfield Village stands to lose. Well, I hope I hope the civic leaders of these communities are taking stock of this and and actually planning sort of a uh, a worst case scenario, you know, I, it, it's it's one thing to to be, to have the belief that that you're going to prevail in this and that that you know this analysis of this is wrong, but you should be planning for it because it it you know it doesn't look like 
there's much footing for a, vict- a legal victory in these municipalities' future. Yeah, it's like we talked about with Armin Budish, the Cayuga County executive last week, planning for the absolute worst case scenario. You know, and you can you can question that that he's not spending money that's needed, but you can also say that's what you want is fiscal a fiscal conservative to take care of the budget. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Has Ohio Governor Mike DeWine's task force on minorities and the coronavirus made any recommendations? We've gotten all sorts of recommendations from all the other work groups, but we're not really hearing much out of this one, Jane Cahoon. That's correct. This group was formed um, just about a month ago. The, the governor named this Minority Health Strike Force, and the group began meeting remotely. They, they've had a lot of phone calls and such, and they haven't recommended anything yet. And uh, House Minority Leader Amelia Sykes drew attention to this last week by writing to the governor and saying that, um, you know, we've had these meetings and there have been recommendations on the phone calls, I guess, but and emails exchanged and so forth. But she said it's moving at a snail's pace. And and she questioned why that was. Well, and she pointed out a simple one that they could put in effect within a, within a couple of days is messaging. And, you know, Frank Jackson mm-hmm. of Cleveland last week announced that he's got people going door to door in the in the various communities where there's a high prevalence of underlying conditions that makes people vulnerable to stress to them the importance of social distancing and protecting themselves. This group could do that statewide. I mean, it, this really does come down to publicity that if you're 70 or older, if right. you have heart disease and diabetes and things, which, which, you know, we've done lots of stories in the past that the African-Americans in Ohio have a outsized proportion of those those underlying conditions, but they're not doing anything. And so, you know, a salute to Amelia Sykes. Has Mike DeWine said anything about when he plans to talk about this? Well, he said at his Thursday briefing that he would be addressing this in a lot more detail this week, perhaps even today or, or tomorrow. So we'll have to see. Okay. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What will going to Mass be like for Northeast Ohio's Catholics when the churches reopen in a week? We've learned a lot just in the past week about the way the virus spreads, loud talking and singing. There was a case study of a choir practice in which one sick person got like 50-some people of the 65 choir members sick in one rehearsal day. So, Laura Johnston, what is the Catholic Church, the Catholic Diocese of this area doing to keep its parishioners safe? First off, there will be no singing, no choirs, no congregational singing, no singing at all, even with masks, because like you said, the respiratory droplets can just spread too far. There will be no communion wine, which just seems like a duh thing. Like if that ever comes back the way that it was with everybody sharing the same cup and just wiping a napkin on the rim, that I'll be surprised. Um, No shaking hands during the sign of the peace. Pews will be roped off so that you can leave six feet of distance in between you and fellow parishioners. And ushers are going to try to make sure that you stay six feet away from people instead of that mad rush to get out of church at the end where everybody bunches up in the aisles. Yeah, I mean, what are they going to do? Walk down each aisle one at a time and let the people leave and everybody else gets held back until they get out? Maybe it'll be like a wedding, you know, like you don't leave until the, you know, the bride and the groom have gone and then the parents. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. They are encouraging you if you are a vulnerable population not to come to church. And, you know, for a lot of some older people, church is very important to them and they're very regular. And they're saying, you know, you still don't need to come to to mass. It's not worth getting sick over. 
It just sounds so somber. No singing, no warm greetings, no being close to anybody else, wearing masks, no facial expressions. And this doesn't sound like anything like the Catholic masses that I remember. I know. And so they're trying to open, they're going to be May 25th for weekday masses. And then the following weekend for Pentecost, which is, you know, the end of the Easter uh, season. It's a big celebration, but it's not going to feel celebratory. And so we, when we're not perfect, but we've been watching some of the mass at home and I can't imagine we're not, I don't, I don't think there's any way that we're going to take our kids to mass for this because there's no point. I don't think, you know, I don't want to, them to get sick. I don't want them to get anyone else sick and we can watch it at home. And uh, it'll be interesting to see who goes back to see if, you know, if so, if everybody's rushing in, they're going to be like, nope, you can't kind of come back to a later math today. I don't know. There's no ban on having an organist play. There could be music. It's just There could the be music. There, there won't be singing. I assume they're going to keep um, providing televised services like our church has, and they might be, they've been doing singing all along there because it's just a cantor standing at the front of the church. I assume they'll be able to keep doing that. So if you want a more regular mass, you're just going to have to watch it on TV. Okay. It's this week in the CLE. Why is the Cleveland Clinic excited about blood plasma from COVID-19 survivors? This is a technology that goes back probably a century, a way for dealing with viruses that has kind of fallen out of favor. Chris Warnowski, what's going on at the Cleveland Clinic? So some doctors at the clinic have expressed some much-needed optimism about an experimental treatment that uses plasma from COVID-19 survivors to help people who have it. The treatment uses what is known as convalescent plasma from recovered patients, and you give it to somebody who is sick through a blood transfusion. Now, convalescent plasma is the liquid part of the blood that contains the antibodies that everybody keeps talking about. And right now, there's some limited evidence that this treatment is effective, but we we haven't really used this therapy a lot because we've developed antimicrobial medicines and so it kind of f- fell out of favor by the mid 20th century due to the development of those medications. But it was a popular treatment for things like scarlet fever and certain types of pneumonia way back in the day. Did it work back then? I think it did. I mean, I think it was something that it, it's a little more painstaking than than just taking medicine. You know, it, it involves, you know, taking blood from somebody, getting the plasma out of the blood giving somebody a blood transfusion and it just, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's an involved process. And that's part of the reason why there's so much, so much limited research right now and, and why the sample size of the, of the people that have been treated in, in the coronavirus case, that's why it's so small that we don't have a huge enough, uh, we don't have a big enough sample size to really tell if this is effective yet. I mean, yeah. like one of the, one of the main studies out of China that people keep citing involved like something like five patients. So you know, and a study of like 5,000 seriously ill patients in the United States found that the treatment is safe, but its effectiveness is going to remain a mystery until more people can be tested. So unlike the vaccine where it's training your body to create antibodies, they inject them into you. The trick is, though, you've got to get people that have recovered from this thing to provide the antibodies. And there's still a belief that a whole lot of people have had it and don't know, right? Right. And Again, it, it's that this is going to be the big, the, the, the sort of big roadblock in this is finding people who have recovered, who know, you know, and people who know they have recovered because we can't, you know, there's no universal testing, so we can't tell. And then, you know, getting people to actually donate, you know, I mean, blood and I mean, they're always asking for blood and plasma donations. And and the clinic said it's in pretty short supply right now. 
So they have to be really selective in choosing which patients can receive the treatment. So, it, I mean, there's a lot of optimism around this, but there's a lot of what ifs that still exist here. And, and so it's, it's going to take time. Well, I'm pending a vaccine. This may be the best way for people to go, especially those who are in the most dire shape. So this week in the CLE, how can day camps keep children safe when they open this summer? This is the question. Every time we talk about schools and day camps and pools, you talk about kids. Kids play. Kids run around. Kids don't wear masks. But day camps are kind of a special thing. It's the whole idea is to get kids together to play and have a great time. Laura Johnston, what is Ohio suggesting that is going to keep the children safe at day camps, which can open the end of this month? Right. Kids are going to be limited to nine per staff member. Uh, Kids attending camp must watch their hands after arriving, before eating, after going to the bathroom, after returning outdoors, after outside play, all of which they should have been doing before. Um, They need to take the temperature when they arrive. The state recommends curbside drop-off so that parents are not walking in and touching a handle and dropping their kid off in the space. Field trips are recommended to be canceled. But honestly, there are so many questions after reading these recommendations. My kids have gone to day camp every summer for the last couple of years. I don't know if I'm going to send them. You know, I, this may come as a surprise, maybe not. I was a day camp counselor for like six years in my very young days. It's actually, we learned, we're still learning new how things. How I met my wife, actually, was, oh. we were counselors at a day camp. I don't see any way that I could have in that job kept kids socially distant. And the whole purpose of getting kids together in day camp is to play. And, you know, right. you play sports and you do arts and crafts. And I guess if you had a you had enough tables, you could spread them out for arts and crafts. But what's the point of going to day camp if I'm not there to play with the other kids? I, I right. just, I don't get it. And so, you know, again, I look at the guidelines and I just scratch my head thinking, I can't I can't begin to see how that's going to work. Everything you do in day camp is communal. So how do I protect these children or do you just not? Do you just figure they're going to spread the disease and we'll slowly cycle through it and get herd immunity? The YMCA where my kids have gone for the last couple of summers and they've loved it and they've loved the camp counselors sent an email, I believe, on Thursday. So hours after we got the DeWine announcement that they could open. And they were basically like, we're, we're planning. Don't call us. We'll call you. Like, <laughs> they don't have answers. So do not email them. You know, my kids have gone to a camp that's met at their elementary school. It's a big cafeteria where everybody would go in in the morning. And I'm like, okay, nine kids in a room. Like they did say you could have dividers, but I don't even know how this is possible. And, you know, the playgrounds are still closed. So they have not opened those. Where where do the kids play? I mean, if they could just play in my backyard all summer, are they going to be better off? I, I think I was assuming camps were not going to be open and it wasn't going to be a decision. And now I think a lot of parents are faced with the the decision of, is this a good idea? You know, you need, you need a virtual day camp, right? Where you have a camp counselor, they, they, they give you the agenda of the arts materials you need, you set up the backyard activities and, and, and have somebody lead it. And then, you know, you put it on an iPad in your backyard and the kids follow the instructions. I don't know. Right, because they're so good at playing. I, I just don't see how it's going to work, but we'll see. It's this week in the CLE. What are the rules and guidelines for gyms and workout centers when they reopen May 26th? 
gyms and workout centers are a challenge because when people are there, they are huffing and puffing if they're working out. And that spews a lot of virus into the air. People who are working out don't like wearing masks because it's harder to breathe. Jane Cahoon, what were the guidelines that the state issued for gyms and workout centers when they reopened May 26th? Well, there are a ton of them. Um, I'll give you some highlights. In, in addition to keeping people distant from one another, they need to disinfect the equipment before and after each use, uh, remove some seating if they have some areas where people congregate, no lost and found, no water fountains. They need to disable saunas and steam rooms and no communal showers. Uh, they, they, you know, regular mask use by members or guests is going to be recommended, but not required. Uh, employees are going to have to wear face coverings and gloves in most situations with some except, uh, with some exceptions. Uh, re- you know, regular use of hand soap or sanitizer, smaller classes, don't get there too early or stick around afterward and socialize with people. So, Basically, like many things, they're taking all the fun out of it. Well, let me ask you this, though. Because, by definition, the people who go to these places are concerned about their health, are the odds a lot better that they'll do the right thing? That, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think I, a lot of the gym etiquette I've seen, you know, people are usually pretty good at wiping off the equipment after they use it anyway. It's just, it's it's going to be a challenge, though, because, you know, if you're, even if you're in a small class and you're doing like a little circuit training, you know, you're going to pick up the dumbbells and then put them back and like, it, you know, going three times around or whatever, are, they, are, are you going to have to like clean off those dumbbells every single time? It's, it's just, it presents a lot of challenges, I think. But if I'm going there to increase my my cardio capacity. The last thing I want to do is get COVID-19, which pretty much destroys your cardio capacity. So it'll be interesting right. to see if if the odds are better here than in, than in other places. We'll okay. See. That's this week in the CLE. That does it for another episode. Good to have you back, Jane. Thank you. Thank Laura. Thank Chris. And thanks to everybody for listening. This week in the CLE, we'll be back on Tuesday. <laughs>